Okay. What if he was a vampire and <laughs> his name was Batsby? <laughs> I'm Summer. I'm Michelle. <laughs> and this is the I've Read That. Woo! We back. Woo-hoo. I think I say that like every time because it takes forever. Um, and we're back with a special <gasps> guest. A guest. Boo, 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 boo. Do, do you want to introduce yourself? Oh, do I? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Steven. I went to high school with these two. <laughs> Hi, Steven. True. Um, I'm a performer in New York. I'm currently living in the epicenter of COVID-19. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> I don't know Gatsby why I Gatsby is my favorite book. <laughs> Yay! You also have a podcast as well. I do. It's plug, called plug, Wigging plug. Out. Um, it's about drag and nightlife in New York. It's very, very queer. It's lovely. Um, we're on hiatus right now because of the <laughs> epidemic, but... <laughs> You know, it's yeah. fine. It's fun. Someday. We got some back episodes. So. And you sound like you're feeling better, which is fantastic. Yes. I did have symptoms of Corona. So, um. <laughs> yeah. Can we just like, can we do a vibe check? Like, I don't want to drive my podcast roll, roll down, for vibe but check. like. <laughs> roll, roll for vibe check. Yeah. I feel the need to just discuss the fact that like my life is now just kind of like an endless blur of playing D&D and day drinking. Yep. <laughs> that's pretty much it (laughs) i'm scheduled for five hours this week um so i have plenty of time to podcast yeah i do my lessons on like mondays and tuesdays to submit by wednesday and then the rest of the week i'm like thinking about dnd that's it (laughs) i still work my regular hours but i'm doing it work from home but it's really hard because it's all like very tedious work that i can probably do at the office much easier so yeah uh, but yeah. when i'm not i'm taking a bunch of photos or playing i just got into final fantasy 7 so okay the remake right Did the that... remake yeah it's yeah. really good adam and i were talking about that last night because i was like man i really want to play it they're all beautiful <laughs> and adam really was good. like yeah i don't feel like spending 180 dollars on that game <laughs> and then i was like yeah but it makes me think of advent children again and then he was like You've convinced me. I'm going to get the game. <laughs> no. It is worth the money. I've I've only done the first two chapters, but I loved it. So I've just been rewatching Scrubs and playing Animal Crossing, obviously. Yep. Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, and Steven, uh, you have yet to visit either of us. I know. And I've invited you to my town. <laughs> Um, I'm working at on my time? town because I need to upstage everybody. <laughs> In this I'm climate, taking some me time. <laughs> you're not time coming to my town. <laughs> Feeling really attacked. In this right climate, now. Um, I, I currently I just made there. a spot for my home. It's a, it's on the lowest level of the ground, but there's like three levels of waterfalls surrounding it. That's it's beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mine is all the way back, back, back by the private beach, and I got, like, a little work area, and I got Mm -hmm. all this stuff. It's very cute. And I built a little pond, and fish do spawn there, so I can wake up in the morning, just throw my fishing rod out, get some fish, and go on I love imagining that I'm still outside. (laughs) (laughs) 
What's it like yeah. to feel the sun on your face? <laughs> you can't do that if you're a vampire. You'll just sparkle. <laughs> we can't only talk about vampires. All right. Okay. So, <clears throat> so vibe check. Everybody good? Things are vibing. Vibing. Wait, what? We're vibing. I've had a beer already, full disclosure. Oh, oh that's cool. It's I might have 7 o'clock. No big deal. <laughs> it's 5 o'clock here. No, I was going to say it's 5 o'clock somewhere, and then I realized it was past 5 o'clock, so that doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> but you said 5 o'clock here, and I went, wait a minute. I looked up at the clock, I was like, am I wrong? I live in um, Utah now, so <laughs> that's an update for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize to all of our four listeners that are out there. If one of you is from Utah, I apologize. I know nothing about Utah other than the one stereotypical thing about Utah. (laughs) We just don't need to mention it. There's also salt. Salt there. There's salt there. Yeah, there's a whole salt salt lake. lake. I've heard about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So if we're going to jump right in. Yes. We can start with our background on F. Scott Fitzgerald. Jump in so, as if jumping into a pool. F. Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> good joke, Michelle. That Thank was you. very good. Just dive right into that pool. Am I right? Um, God, I wish. All right. So <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, but that's like the worst place to be. <laughs> so F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, his name is Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald. <laughs> Nerd. Named after... <laughs> You know, Star Spangled Banner. I still love that. (laughs) He was born in uh, 1896 in Minnesota, and he died in 1940 in Hollywood. Mm. Mm. So he was only like 44 or something like that, which is wild to me. Um, he had his wife Zelda, and there's actually um a book that I read a couple years ago. I guess it was when I was in high school, so it was a while ago. Um, called to Zelda with Love, and it was like a collection of like some poems and letters and stuff like that <clears throat> between them, and it was really cool. Sorry, I'm reading on Britannica.com. Um, he tried too hard and made himself unpopular at school, but then he realized his dream of brilliant success. Okay. Um, <laughs> I like that. He, man, this is boring. His life is boring. He's just like an alcoholic, and him and Zelda used to fight a lot. <laughs> basically, basically, they fell deeply in love, and as soon as he could, he headed to New York to determine uh, and determined to achieve instant success and marry Zelda. Um, he got a job in advertising for ninety dollars a month, which Ooh. is amazing for that time. That's more I'm than gonna, most people. I'm gonna run it through the inflation calculator. <laughs> Yeah, do it. Um, so he married her in 1920. Um, and so he had a piece <clears throat> called This Side of Paradise, and it was a revelation of the new morta- uh, morality of the young. And that's what made him famous. Um, so he wrote a lot about, like, romanticizing, like, this time period that he was from, and it seemed like a lot about young people trying to you know make it i guess in places yeah oh this is good for the rest of his life except for occasional drunken spells when he became bitter and violent fitzgerald lived quietly with her okay so um yeah they 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 (laughs) they fought a lot and he was drunk a lot and um but sometimes yeah he was 44 years old when he died of a heart attack which is unfortunate but 
yeah, so, um, very sad and kind of fits with the whole theme of the Great Gatsby of, like, trying to get, get that dream. <laughs> get this coming bread. Coming so close. Let's... Wait, uh, I have so... a very small yeah. um, story about yeah. Fitzy. I have you love met? this book. No, I have not met. <laughs> um, I love this book so much. In high school, I wrote, I don't want to say it was a fan fiction, but <laughs> I definitely wrote a story where the main character was called um, Fitzy, and it was named after Fitzgerald. <laughs> mm, I love it. Very good. Very good. It was, um, I, I think it was like, <clears throat> I think it was basically The Great Gatsby, but set in modern day. <laughs> I hate myself. I mean, oh, that's very good. I feel like um, history repeats itself uh, mm-hmm. as we as we plunge into the twenties. Um, <laughs> now, as it was then, everything is getting worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, what, what's the uh, what's the conversion rate, Michelle, of ninety dollars? Yeah. So that's uh, one thousand one hundred sixty-one dollars. A month. Okay, yeah, living yeah. that millennial so, life. So I don't know if if you can do that in New York City these days. That seems no. a little low. <laughs> no, but well, maybe you know, in then, Florida, actually. that's a, that's a, that's comfortable. You can live on well, that. Yeah, you know, if you live in not a tourist town. Yeah, that's what I made <laughs> as a substitute teacher, more or less. Yeah. All right. So that's kind of all I got on old. Oh, Fitzy. 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 <laughs> I, That's all I got. I have only read one other... I don't know how many books he wrote. I read Tender as the Night once. I didn't like it, and I remember nothing about it. <laughs> so, um, um, that's my review. I have his short story collections, and I've read Benjamin Button and a few others. Um, there, yeah, there's a good collection. It's called Tales of the Jazz Age. Um, okay. I like it. Yeah. Nice. Um, I always forget he wrote Benjamin Button, but he did. I literally <laughs> didn't know that until just what? now. <laughs> yeah, also same. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Right. That, that's kind of the same story about reaching your, you know, the American dream. You the American dream of really being old. an old man baby. <laughs> getting really young. <laughs> I think this is the first time I've reread this since high school. Um, the first time I read this was on a cruise ship, actually, which feels very fitting. <laughs> Like to the to the whole thing. <laughs> I was on a cruise with my grandma. Okay, so the Great Gatsby. Um, what was I saying? This is the first time I've reread it since high school, I believe. I really liked it back then. I still liked it this time, but for some reason, I just like found it more difficult to get through. Even though it's a pretty short book, I feel like the like the density of it and the way that it's written with the descriptions that are like very oh. lush and detailed it's like really appealing the first time and then has kind of diminishing returns because it's like okay i get it it's opulent you know they well, have too also, much money <laughs> what we kind of talked about is i like as i was listening because i was listening to the audiobook mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um Same. and as i was listening to it it was like I would hear these descriptions that maybe I totally glossed over mm-hmm. when I was in high school because I just didn't notice it. And I was like, oh, this is a very, very descriptive kind of gross thing. <laughs> like, what I, uh, he, Nick describes Jordan as having an erect carriage. Yeah, we can talk about um, that for sure. <laughs> anyway. The, the strange 
yeah. ways that Jordan is described. Um, yes. And Tom. And Tom. Yeah, a lot oh, of focus on Tom's, riches. like, yeah. <laughs> legs and pant area. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes a little weird. Is a lot. That I never noticed. But anyway, so, summary. Um, I mean, I feel like this book is so much in culture and the popular consciousness that I don't know how deep we need to get into it. But basically, that there's Jay Gatsby, who's kind of the central figure. He's this rich, mysterious man who throws these lavish parties at his house in Witch Egg. There are two uh, eggs. West, West Egg. Eggs. West Egg. Yeah, so it's basically these two, like, areas, and West Egg is where the new money lives. East Egg is where the old money lives. Um, so Jay Gatsby is, like, hopelessly in love with slash obsessed with slash idolizes Daisy Buchanan. Um, they have a history together. They met when he was a soldier. What was he? He was in the Navy? Or something. Army. Yeah. Army. I don't know. Something. Yeah. <laughs> he was in the military. He was in the military. <laughs> um, but after the war ended, he found that she was already married, I think, to this man named Tom Buchanan, who is just like this hyper macho, like racist, uh, just like super aggro masculine kind of parody of himself. But Michelle, he had money. He does have money. <laughs> He's rich, though. Um, it's not a good marriage, clearly. Um, they don't seem to get along that well. They have a child uh, who both of them seem to forget about almost all of the time. Poor kid. And is, like, being raised by the nanny. Yeah. <laughs> um. And then we have Nick, who is the narrator of this book, because uh, Jay Gatsby, I would say, is the protagonist, but is not the narrator. Nick is the narrator. Um, Nick doesn't have that much personality, so I don't <coughs> think he's the protagonist. <laughs> I have written down, Nick is just a mouthpiece. He isn't really a character. Very Bella Swan. <laughs> we can't keep doing this. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, just like Ralph... So essentially, uh, Gatsby is throwing these huge parties basically as a roundabout way of trying to get Daisy's attention, because he can't just walk up to the door and say, hello, I'm rich now, um, because of reasons. He, uh, he does eventually get Daisy's attention. They, like, rekindle their romance, um, and... I don't know. I don't think that much <laughs> eventful really happens after that until things go really bad. Yeah, things are good <laughs> until they're not. <laughs> um, Tom finds out. Things kind of blow up. Um, in New York City. So while they're visiting New York City. Um, and then on the drive back, I think it's Daisy and Gatsby are in the car together, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And Daisy's driving. And Daisy's driving. Um, they strike and kill a woman on the road who is actually Tom's mistress, um, mm -hmm. who he's had the whole book. Um, Tom thinks that it was Gatsby driving, um, which Gatsby is, like, fully prepared, I think, to keep that lie going. Um, 
And I think it's kind of unclear by the end whether Daisy has told him the truth or not. I don't I, I don't think we ever like get to see that. I don't think so either. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of they just kind of leave and then they're out of the story. So Yeah. So um Daisy and Tom actually kind of end up like reconciling after this happens and that kind of leaves Gatsby like out in the cold. Um Yeah, it's like self-preservation. Like they'd rather just stay together and like survive yeah then even worry about this nothing yeah (laughs) basically which is terrible oh yeah um and then the husband of tom's mistress who was killed finds out about the whole thing um also thinks gatsby was driving uh goes to his house and murders him in the pool very famous image gatsby floating dead in the pool um and that's pretty much where the book ends there's like a little bit of epilogue Kind of um, something sad that I, I do want to mention um, that does happen after that mm-hmm. is uh, Gatsby's funeral. Yeah, where That's no kind of one shows up, and no one shows up after he has all these like lavish parties, and everybody wants to come to Gatsby's party, and like it's just like this lack of genuine emotional connections that Gatsby had, mm-hmm. and it was more like just surrounding himself with, like it was he only cared about finding daisy yeah and he was surrounding himself with these people just for daisy and in the end he like had nobody yeah like n- nobody was there which yeah. sucks but yeah and then a couple of other things um that i forgot to mention so jordan is another major character she's a friend of daisy's she's a golfer right yep. yeah and a liar and a liar. <laughs> um, she and Nick uh, have a romance for part of the book, and then they just kind of break up. Yeah, it just, it like, just like happens. Out. Yeah. Well, that's something else about Nick about his characters that he literally like scrutinizes and like judges everybody. Oh, yeah. based on all their little character flaws, but then like very briefly glosses over the fact that he's like, oh yeah, I had like a girlfriend at home, and I guess I started dating Jordan while I was still with my girlfriend, but whatever. We're not really that serious, the girlfriend and I at home. No big deal. And it's like, dude! <laughs> well, okay. That brings up one of my questions I always had. Um, the story, since I was listening to like today, it seems like really fast paced, and I don't know like how long the whole plot is. So like, mm-hmm. my impression was like Nick's been there for a while. Yeah, I think there's a lot of. I think time is really weird in this book. Like there are yeah. points where Nick is kind of just like, and then several months passed, but they weren't interesting. Yeah. So I'm not going to talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> like, and okay. neither are you, Nick Carraway. <laughs> but then he's like, I'm going to tell you 50 names of people I saw at these parties. It's like, yeah. well, I don't care <laughs> about I'm going to describe Gatsby's pink suit. <laughs> I will describe his pink suit now. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, and we have to mention the green light because that's such a, um, yeah, a, One an of iconic image. Themes. Yeah. So I have two, well, a couple big themes, actually, with the different symbolism. Yeah. So the thing with the green light is that Gatsby's house is sort of right across the water from Daisy's house, and he can see this green light, and it's, a, you know, a very obvious symbol of the the yearning and the pining and things that are out of reach to him. Um, and he just kind of, like, stares at it every night. Yeah, symbol for go. <laughs> yeah. Go. go for it. <laughs> green for go. Which is, like, when you think about it, this whole thing of him, like, not that he 
you know, meant to meet, what was it, Dan Cody? Not that he, like, intended to meet that guy mm-hmm. and, like, whatever, but the whole thing of him having this pining for Daisy, even, like, moving across the bay from her, like, all of this stuff is, like, really wild to me. And the fact that she's so, like, full of herself that she's, like, oh, this is flattering. Oh, Gatsby wants to be with me. And, like, yeah, we should like him. And, like, it's so wild. Her sing-songy voice. It's just wild to me that it's cool. It's cool this guy, like, followed you and tracked you down and, like, moved by yeah. you and is, like, trying to get you to cheat on your husband and all this stuff. It's all cool. We should, like, emphasize that none of these characters are good people. <laughs> like, yeah. No. no. <laughs> not not a single one. No. Like, not even no, the no, mistress. No, no, no. I thought... No, Myrtle? No. Um, I always thought that Daisy was just, like... It was, like, self-interest. So, like, this was, like, the first excitement she's had in a while. So she's just like, ooh, a boy likes Yeah, me. that <laughs> totally makes sense. Yeah. Because Tom is ignoring her. Yeah. And they fight. So that definitely is, like... That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um... um oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, another symbol that they really drive in is, um... The eyes of T.J. Eckelberg. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're supposed to be, like, the eyes of God. There they are. Michelle showing us on Skype the eyes of God. Um, and so even, like, what is it? In the end, when Myrtle gets hit or whatever, at some point, Who's I think it's when Myrtle's actually locked up. Yeah, uh, Tom's mistress. Um, her husband, George, makes the comment about, like, how, like, God is always watching type of thing. And mm-hmm. it, like compares that with the eyes of tj eckelberg so there it's like this big billboard that was for this old um optometrist yeah optometrist that just is in the valley of ashes which is another symbol which is basically like the transition between being in like new egg or i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) new egg west egg and east egg where there's some money, and then it's, like, the poor people in the Valley <laughs> yeah. of Ashes. And then it's, like, New York City! Woo! Woo! So it's, like, the, these eyes of God are just watching over, like, this whole poor people area. Like, <laughs> well, the slum, I guess. What I thought was interesting was, like, after, um, what's his, the Myrtle's husband's name? Again? George. George, thank you. After he made that comment, the immediate, like, line after that is, like, that's just an advertisement. Like, I thought that was, like, really interesting to be, like, God's here. And everyone was, like, no. That's an ad. Um, So, I don't know, like, that might be, like, too complex of a thought to be, like, what's this mean? But I thought, I did think it was interesting that it was, like, immediately, like, dismissed when someone was, like, God's watching kind of thing. I don't know. Well, I think there's a lot of interesting, like sort of like critiques of industry and like kind of what it means to accumulate wealth like from like the general sketchiness of Gatsby's <laughs> method of yeah. money making where everyone's like he's a bootlegger he's he a bootlegger all this stuff, and then you know he's got these like sketchy business acquaintances that are described in like weird anti-semitic terms yeah, Wolfsheim, yeah, that was another thing I messaged you about. I was like, oh, listening to this in the audiobook is even more gross yeah, than reading it, it on the paper. It's not great, yeah. Oh. It's a bad look. Um, did your yeah. audiobook give him, like, a weird accent? Because mine did. Yes! I wonder if it's the same one. It, it was, be. like, a very stereotypical, like, Jewish accent. Like, it was 
bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was really bad. And I, I immediately messaged Michelle and I was like, this is super gross. Yeah. But like there's that. And then this like crumbling old billboards like mm-hmm. over this area where there's just like no wealth. So I feel like, I mean, I don't know F. Scott Fitzgerald's like social political leanings, but I think there's definitely a lot of criticism which I think makes a lot of sense at the time that this book came out of, like, mm-hmm. not only, like, the wealth disparity, but, like, how people can make money. And, like, Gatsby kind of tripped into his money completely, <laughs> coincidentally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's always why I love this book is because, like, I feel like first impression, it's very romantic of mm-hmm. the 20s in New York and all that jazz. But, like, once you get into it, it's just, like, Everything's ugly. Everyone's awful. No one's going to make any money. No one cares. (laughs) Well, the thing that sucks is, like, the poor people... I have this written down, too, that, like, the poor people are punished for being poor. Yeah. Like, they're literally, like, treated like crap. And then, like, as much as Myrtle maybe wasn't, like, the best person, like, she was... She's the one that got murdered. You know what I mean? Like, it's her and her poor husband, who's just, like, this dude trying to make it, like, in his service industry, like... You know, and just always nice to people, and Tom just, like, treats him like a fool, and all this different stuff, and it's, like, the poor people are always going to be punished, because they're poor. Like, that's the reason why. And it's, like, no matter, um, like, what, like, hold on, what did I write? Oh, yeah, no matter what, people will kind of, like, stay where they're supposed to be socially. So it's, like, even though Gatsby, like, acquired all this wealth, and he's new money, and all that, like, socially... He's not there because he's not on the same level as Tom and Daisy. Yeah. Tom and Daisy are on a whole other mm-hmm. rung of the ladder. And Gatsby can have all the money that he has and dress like them and pretend to be them. But he'll never be there because he doesn't... He, he's not going to get off of where he is. Yeah. And, it, and that's, like, <laughs> wild. And I think definitely the descriptions, like... um, There's so much, like, critique of that kind of, like, artifice and, um, like, shallow like Hollywood culture that was kind of really emerging around this time. I have a, so I've been reading this book. It's called the art of subtext by Charles Baxter, but he actually uses a lot of examples from Gatsby throughout the book. So I that's perfect. brought it. So there were some quotes that I want to read later. Maybe we can like talk about what subtext is. Cause I think this book is actually a great teaching tool for the concept of subtext. I think it's a fantastic example. Um, but there's this part, um, he's kind of talking about, like, the history and literature of how people are described and, like, how originally beauty was, like, associated with goodness and virtue. Um, and then that started to fade away. So it says, uh, beauty begins to be associated with artifice, with Hollywood, in the way that melodies are associated with film soundtracks. In Gatsby, there is something fraudulent about Daisy Buchanan's beauty, whereas Wilson's hollow-eyed ugliness is absolutely genuine. Hideous ugliness begins to be associated with the naturally spontaneous and the good, with the final version of this in productions like The Elephant Man. Uh, Furthermore, because grotesque visages resist readerly irony, they serve as constant, ongoing, ironic commentaries on their opposites, the intolerably unreal or the untouchably beautiful. And that kind of made me think of the description when Daisy and Jordan are introduced and there's this like really weird moment 
Um, the only completely stationary object in the room was an enormous couch on which two young women were buoyed up as if, as though upon an anchored balloon. They were both in white, and their dresses were rippling and fluttering as if they had just been blown back in after a short flight around the house. And that description kind of repeats itself, like, this way that Daisy and Jordan are, like, not even people. They're just, like, balloons that... They're, like, ethereal. (laughs) Yeah, they're, like, these weird ghosts that just float around and are completely untouchable. Mm. I want that life. Uh. (laughs) They're erect carriages. Don't forget the sweat of, uh, or what was it, the mustache of sweat under uh, On Jordan, yeah. Yes. Yeah, there's um, a lot of, um, like, strangely loaded masculine descriptions of Jordan throughout the book. Um, also, a reason why I love this book so much is that it, you can have some queer coded reading of it, I think, um, mm-hmm. especially with Nick and his obsession with Gatsby. And I think that comes out in both his romantic relationship with Jordan mm-hmm. and also the apartment scene um, a little bit. Um, yeah, but and the know, elevator scene. Have, oh, yeah. Keep the hands off the lever, sir. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know how intentional that it was or just how it worked for character, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of wonder, like, I don't know, like, how much of that was intentional, but in a way that it was kind of just to make Nick a little bit strange. Yeah. Like, his perceptions, because, like, he's not a reliable narrator. I think that's pretty clear uh, by the time that he says, what does he say? He's like, I am the only Mm -hmm. honest person I know. Or (laughs) It's like, okay. Thank you. Thank you for letting me Stop know it. what kind of person you're. Judgmental. <laughs> but I do remember. I remember reading this in high school, and everyone in class laughing at the elevator part because it's pretty. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> it's, it's a weird scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't know what purpose it serves except to be that sexual. Because like I, I don't know why else that, that would be in the book. <laughs> They make that joke, and then, like, the next sentence is, like, the other guy is in his underwear. And you're like... <laughs> Hold on. What? <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> Nick, we can't keep doing this. You have to explain what happened. <laughs> you can't and just keep I skipping always, things. I always thought his, like, um, Nick's relationship with Gatsby was just, like, pure admiration. Sort of similar yeah. to Daisy. Not in the romantic sense, I guess, but I don't know. He definitely it, it, romanticizes Gatsby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he he kind of refuses to see his flaws as a yeah. person. Yeah, and when it comes back to that class thing, it's almost like he's able to elevate Gatsby higher than Gatsby really is elevated, and he kind of, like, puts that in, like, by giving Gatsby all of that attention, it's yeah. like it fuels Gatsby more. Yeah. And so I think that's part of the reason why Gatsby, like, keeps him around, really, is because it's like, <laughs> oh, this guy's, he's helping me, he can get me to Daisy, like, he's using Nick, but Nick only sees Gatsby as, like, this, like, almost like a god to him, kind of, you know yeah. what I mean? He's, like, almost, like, worshipping him, which is Which, and wild. something we didn't mention is that Nick is Daisy's cousin. Like, that's, yeah. that's yes. the biggest connection of how... Gatsby like makes his way back to Daisy because Daisy has not shown up at any of his parties. No. 
Um, no, no, no. I guess Although Daisy's that, very so. affectionate with her cousin. Can I just say yeah, that? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, There's the, a lot of weird stuff. This, I think she's just like, likes attention from uh, yeah. men. Because when mm-hmm. Daisy's, or not, when Nick asked Daisy to meet him at his place, and she's like, do you have a crush on me? Like your cousins. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, no, I was just inviting you over, you weirdo. Like, um, no, I was inviting you over to meet this guy that I just met who's, like, totally into you. Um, I, my question was, like, what is the rising incident or inciting mm-hmm. incident of this book? Because it just sort of happens. Like, I can pinpoint the climax, but I can't tell you when the plot actually starts. <laughs> it's weird, and I think... Like, having that filter of, like, Nick telling someone else's story makes it even weirder. Because it's almost like he's distorting the pace at which the story mm-hmm. happens. Because Nick is, like, omitting things, things or focusing on yeah. things. So it's, like, this weird double layer of, like, here's the story. Here's the story as Nick wants to tell it. For some reason. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. It gets, like, really strange. Um because I guess it would be, like, when Nick gets invited to the party. I think so. But, but why did he get invited to the party is my question. Because, <laughs> yeah, because he says, like, I've been neighbors with this guy for months. And we haven't really talked. But I'm just going to introduce myself for no reason now. It's like, okay, <laughs> well, it that's you, not really. It makes you wonder, like, did Gatsby know that he was going over like to the Buchanan's mm-hmm. like even if he didn't know that Daisy was Nick's cousin at first it's like he probably got word from so if he's that like he's just got like binoculars Daisy, across the lake. yeah he's like <laughs> I am TJ Eckelberg now <laughs> but yeah it's like it makes you wonder like how far did Gatsby really go but you're never gonna get that answer because it's written from Nick's point of view and like yeah. you said it's like he doesn't have all of the pieces of the puzzle he doesn't have everything so yeah. Um, yeah, that is very strange that it's like one day there's just an invitation on your doorstep. <laughs> and it's like, come party with me. Yeah. Um, my favorite Nickisms are um, <laughs> during the the apartment or I guess the hotel scene when it's really hot out, the climax, if you mm-hmm. will. And all this, <laughs> oh, <laughs> all this like drama happens, and then at the end of the chapter, Nick's like, I just turned thirty. I just remembered. <laughs> Like, like he's not um, present in the whole scene. No one's, he's not referred to. And then at the end, he's just like, oh yeah, I just remembered I turned 30. My favorite thing (laughs) about Nick is, okay, he lives in the part of town where all the new rich people live. And he explains it like, oh, me and my friend, we're going to like rent this house or buy this house together. And then he didn't want to. So I was stuck with it by myself, but I'm like an accountant. And I'm like, now yeah. how is this working? You live next to <laughs> well, a millionaire. Like, <laughs> well, it's like almost the way that he explained it, isn't it? Doesn't he describe it as like a ramshackle house or something? Yeah. Like he describes it weird, like like it's like a shack or something. <laughs> and then it talks about how Gatsby's got this like lavish house and everybody's coming over. There's a pool in the backyard. I'm like, is Nick's house actually crappy or is he just like a spoiled rich boy <laughs> that he thinks the house is crappy? Because it's not used to, like, it's his, not what he's used his to. His class is weird. Or, like, like is he middle class? Because then he's why like would Daisy accountant. associate yeah. himself? Yeah. Um, well, and if anything, he is an, an accountant, but he probably got, if he 
is like upper middle class he probably found that job through like connections yeah Mm -hmm. because if you know what i mean like i don't know just you don't get enough you don't get enough who is nick who is nick who is nick yeah well that's a good question and i want to talk about it (laughs) because okay so something i was reading about in the subtext book which i thought was really interesting is like it got me thinking like why is nick in this book at all no tea. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a totally valid question because he's not really a character um, and he distorts the story so much. But um, kind of Charles Baxter's, Baxter's one of his claims in this book is that like Gatsby's mind and his obsession with Daisy is kind of like so distorted that he's not even capable of telling his own story. So he mm. like needs someone else to tell the story for him. Gatsby wants Daisy Buchanan, wants her obsessively. But what does Gatsby really want? In F. Scott Fitzgerald's consideration of the dynamics of nostalgia, Gatsby's rather like an adolescent who can't get a date with the most astonishingly beautiful girl in the class. And therefore Gatsby, or Gats, vows to become somebody else, somebody rich and famous so that one day Daisy won't refuse him. He is ashamed of the person he is, the person who cannot have Daisy. Therefore he will become another person, the great Gatsby. That she will be a different Daisy does not seem to occur to him. Given this situation, Daisy, for Gatsby, is no longer a flesh-and-blood woman. She's become an over-determined, congested, hyper-fetishized object representing everything unspoken that he wants. He wants to rewrite and recapture the past. He wants innocence. He wants charm. He wants romance and enchantment. On top of all that, as a bootlegger, he also wants respectability. Uh... Gatsby can't tell his story, so Nick Carraway does. And once again, innocent and not-so-innocent bystanders go down with the ship. Or in this case, the car. <laughs> um, if Gatsby had somehow narrated The Great Gatsby, if he had survived his own story, we would be presented with a monotonous, unreliable, fixated landscape. Gatsby doesn't have the necessary distance on his own situation even to begin to narrate it. Yeah, that's that's a yeah. an interesting way of thinking about it. I like yeah. that. Like a good way to explain like it. Like he's just so in the grips of his own obsession. And um, Charles Baxter was comparing this too to Moby Dick. Like Moby Dick is not narrated by Captain Ahab. Call me Ishmael. Right. <laughs> because like he's so in the grips of that obsession that like somebody else has to step in and tell the story mm-hmm. with a little bit of distance. So, so something else that is kind of, it's, it's separate from that, but still goes along with, you know, the new money thing mm-hmm. is the fact that this excess of wealth of like the new money, it's, it's basically like Gatsby's like throwing his money away in a, in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas Daisy and Tom are very like stingy with their money because they're used to have, so they're, they're very stingy with it. Mm-hmm. And like Gatsby, literally there's one point in the story when he has like piles of these clothes and he's just like, Oh yeah, I bought all these clothes and some people give me this clothes and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, I don't really wear all and of them. And then Daisy's like crying like, all over the sweaters. Beautiful <laughs> yeah. shirts. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, he's got all this stuff. And then it's like, he throws all these parties, obviously. And I'm sure he's supplying all of the alcohol and all of the everything, yeah. the musicians. There's, like, which... descriptions of, like, the mountains of lemons that they have to squeeze. And it's, like, <laughs> the one butler has to squeeze all these lemons. 
<laughs> yeah, and so it's like, it, it definitely is talking about how this new money is like just throwing it away yeah. and spending, spending, spending. And then another thing that happens when Gatsby starts to date, well, starts to like see Daisy, um, he ends up like firing his entire staff. Yeah. Just for like seemingly because Daisy's there and he didn't want to like bring attention to it he like fires his whole staff and then has like the mob come in to be like (laughs) his people that hang around like and it's so bizarre that it's like okay these people are so expendable to him Mm -hmm. that he doesn't even care because like you said he's blinded yeah all he cares about is Daisy so the fact that he could just say goodbye no more yeah I want Daisy instead (laughs) um how does this excess apply to Gatsby's, like, toxic nostalgia, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because, like, when I reread it this time, that's all I kept hearing was, just, like, he's so focused on the past. And yeah. I feel like this book in general now is, like, looked on as, like, favorable as, like, a good depiction of the 20s, which is weird. I know, people having, like, Gatsby parties. Which, like, yeah. I'm not saying I wouldn't go to a Gatsby party, but at the same time, it's, oh, like... Heartbeat. Okay, like, let's think about this. It, it's weird but i don't all i can get from this book is that like nostalgia's bad which like <laughs> it can be <laughs> well and and with the excess it actually leads into more of an actual like historical context where in 1929 the stock market crashed because everybody was like spending mm. all this money and doing stuff so it's like you know in a way it explains the time period relatively well in the sense of people Spe- like this money seemingly coming from nowhere and then going to nothing know, ni- yeah going to nothing <laughs> in 1929 the stock market crashes so it's interesting to see it in this little bubble yeah and to see and that's that american dream part that gatsby's trying to get that american dream of getting the wealth and like having it all and yeah guess what it's not real yeah and it's still not real <laughs> that's a that's a phrase that everyone uses for this book and i feel like almost like a little memetically like just it's about the american dream it's like okay what does that mean though <laughs> no but what okay. does it mean? the green light is the american dream like okay what does that actually mean you can have it all because <laughs> like yeah um i don't know again i don't know that much about f scotty's like personal <laughs> beliefs about america <laughs> like i don't know if the claim here is that like the american dream has always been a sham <laughs> and that's why nostalgia is bad because it's nostalgia for something that never existed in the first place. That's what I would like the reading to be. I don't know. I like that reading. I don't know if I'm being a little generous <laughs> um, to this guy from the 20s. Yeah. Because I'm like, <laughs> just I'm drug the band, yeah. like, what are they nostalgic about? Yeah. Like, before, I mean, maybe before the war? That would make sense to me. But... You know what Tom's nostalgic for is like. <laughs> <laughs> only white people yeah. being in the yeah <laughs> well I mean I guess the nostal- if you're saying like before the war possibly but even after the war I mean there was like there really truly was that excess of wealth yeah because everybody because of all the industry um like weapons industry and all these factories that were running so it's like people made more money right after the war and it's the baby boom Mm, eventually but (laughs) but it's like that's what happens like after wars you have like these big booms of commerce Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of what maybe that was the nostalgia was like all right everybody's 
big now after the war. We're partying because we've won the war. Things are over. It's good. We're in the 20s. And then, you know, <laughs> stock market crashes. <laughs> Just going to throw that in there again. I feel like, too, like, <laughs> during this time, like, the kind of rapid, like, people moving to cities and, like, mm-hmm. just, like, urbanization and <laughs> the, like, the more rapid technological progression that really kicked off in the 20th century. Like, mm-hmm. I think that nostalgia is something that can only really exist when the world is changing quickly. Mm. And I'm trying, there's a quote that I love about it. Here it is. I think about this quote all the time. Um, this is from uh, Scott Russell Sanders, um, staying put, I think it's an essay. Sorry, I'm reading so many quotes today. I just like quotes. That's good. <laughs> no, you're good because you bring in you bring in the facts. <laughs> um, the word nostalgia was coined in 1688 as a medical term to provide an equivalent for the German word meaning homesickness. We commonly treat homesickness as an ailment of childhood, like mumps or chickenpox, and we treat nostalgia as an affliction of age. On our lips, nostalgia usually means a sentimental regard for the trinkets and fashions of an earlier time, for an idealized past, for a vanished youth. We speak of a nostalgia for the movies of the 1930s, say, or the haircuts of the 1950s. It is a shallow use of the word. The two Greek roots of nostalgia literally mean return pain. The pain comes not from returning home, but from longing to return. Uh, perhaps it is inevitable that a nation of immigrants who shoved aside the native tribes of this continent, who enslaved and transported Africans, who still celebrate motion as if humans were dust motes, that such a nation should lose the deeper meaning of this word. A footloose people, we find it difficult to honor the lifelong bone-deep attachment to place. We are slow to acknowledge the pain and yearning for one's native ground, the deep anguish in not being able ever to return. Yeah, that's a good quote. I like that. That's a big yeah. quote, yeah. That's very deep. It's interesting to me that Gatsby and Nick are both, like, from the Midwest. Mm. Which I I think would have probably been a region that was kind of starting to be drained of its people as people started moving to cities and moving to the coasts. I mean, I have to think that's kind of a part of this, like, nostalgia thing. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't Nick, didn't they everybody, like, come from Chicago? Is that a thing that I think happened? Nick came, I know Daisy was from Chicago, or yeah. she had been, they had been in they Chicago. They had been I thought Chicago. Nick was in Chicago as well. Um, well, and then Nick was, like, going all over the place from the yeah. war, and he, like, um, not from the war. You know what I mean. He was yeah. moving around. Gatsby was going all over the place for the war and, like, ended up at Oxford just like, like accidentally <laughs> he's an Oxford he's man. An Oxford man, yeah. Old sport. <laughs> Old sport. And he was just like a janitor for a month and then just yeah. kind of told everyone that he was an Oxford man. He's not wrong. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, technically he was an Oxford man. Just for a very brief period of time. Yeah. Okay. Boop 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 boop. It's a spark <laughs> notes segment. Yeah. Okay, so um, uh, I try to share some fun Sparknotes Twitter 
stuff. So shout out to Sparknotes Twitter. One day we will be sponsored. Seen. We will hopefully <laughs> be seen by Sparknotes Twitter because I love them. And I did pick out some uh, Great Gatsby themed ones okay. this time. So sometimes I don't always theme them. I had a Great Gatsby one last time too because it was really funny. Um, and that kind of inspired me to pick the Great Gatsby. But I specifically found some Great Gatsby themed ones. So okay. this one's funny and I'll send it in the uh, in the Skype chat. Ooh. So this one, it it just says, it says nobody. And then it says Jay Gatsby, and then it's somebody's hand reaching for like a like a light in a house, and it's green. It's, but it's funny. Here's I'm gonna pop that in the chat. So if you want to look for these, this one was actually reblogged. I like that you've chosen a primarily visual meme to describe. Yeah, podcast. I know, of course. Like most of them are visual, unfortunately, <laughs> but one of them is text, so that'll be good. So that's the one. Um, it's very good. So this one is a four panel, and it says the Great Gatsby spoilers, but there's no context. So one of them is a green traffic light. Okay. The next one is somebody saying, mostly I live in the past. The next one is Patrick with the binoculars and it's got the human eyeball. <laughs> and then the last one is Michael Scott saying, occasionally I'll hit someone with my car. So see me. <laughs> so that one's really good. I'm retweeting this right Here, now. I'll, I'll drop that in there too. I'm going to retweet um, these live. <laughs> live And then... This one is very good. It's a scene. It's um, uh, Ryan and Shane from Unsolved, BuzzFeed Unsolved, and Watcher Network. Please notice us. Um, and, and it's Shane saying, I've changed the past. And Ryan says, you didn't change another word for poop. You didn't change bleep. <laughs> and Shane saying, I've changed it. That one's <laughs> quite funny. Uh, and then the last one says, asking someone out on a date. Nerve wracking. Disappearing for five years and acquiring a large fortune through unscrupulous means, then buying the mansion across the bay from the girl you love. Mysterious. Very cool. Involves jazz. <laughs> and those those are the three that I have. Um, and there was a funny one. Oh, here we go. This one was actually when I looked up Great Gatsby jokes earlier, trying to find something funny for the intro. I came upon this one, and it was from uh, somebody on Tumblr. And it says, Nick, why do you keep calling me old sport? Do you not know my name or something? Gatsby, dot, 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 Nick, dot, dot, dot. You don't know my name, do you? Gatsby, don't be ridiculous. Of course I know your name. Old sport. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So those that this has been a Spark Notes moment. Um, please notice us. We please love you, Spark Notes. <laughs> I used you all thanks, in high Spark school, Notes. so, like, thanks for the degree. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my favorite Great Gatsby media is still, um, is it Harkavarian? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, Harkavagrant, the Kate Beaton comic. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kate Beaton's I still quote, baby what baby? (laughs) Nearly. What baby? (laughs) Baby? What baby? (laughs) So good. Uh, Um, because that baby, I think is mentioned twice and only once. And only appears once. And she's two. She's two. And she like talks, doesn't <laughs> yeah. she? Probably has a conversation. Like, and the oh, one time she appears, she's like sad. Yeah. Like she wants to spend time with her mom, and then her mom's like, "Go away." <laughs> no, thank oh, you. Daisy immediately like asks, "Do you think my friends are pretty?" <laughs> I was like, Word. "Mother yeah, I love of her. the year." <laughs> okay. Um. So. I've just come up with a new segment. Maybe this can be my thing instead of fun Another facts. Another new segment? 
Yay! And it's, it's Google autocorrect. So I typed, <gasps> why is the Great Gatsby? Can we guess? Yeah, Can guess. we guess? Can we guess? Okay, what were you guessing? So I said, why is the Great Gatsby gay? Okay. That's so boring. <laughs> um, no, the first result is, why is the Great Gatsby great? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. You know. Um, why is the Great Gatsby so boring is the fourth result. Hey. <laughs> um, I'm going to try why is Jay Gatsby. Why is Jay Gatsby not great? <laughs> well, there's a lot of reasons That's in this the essay. That's the sequel. <laughs> the not so great Gatsby. I'd read that. I would read that. You need to write that book. That's your book. To That's write. my book. It's the from the perspective of Jordan. <laughs> I lied in this golf tournament, and I cheated. <laughs> So that's been Google autocorrect corner. Cool. My new Thank you, Michelle. That was Thank good. Thank you. That was great. I liked it. I liked it. What did you like about this book? Does anybody want to start? Um, uh, Steven, you want to? Yeah. It's my favorite book. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like so you should field this one. I feel like I started liking this book when we read it in high school because of the glamour around the 1920s. But I really like the deconstruction of that that you see throughout the book. Because, mm-hmm. like, I see a lot of people nowadays, more so when the movie came out, like, 2013 or whatever, uh, oh. that people were, like, romanticizing Daisy and Gatsby, like, uh, Twilight kind of love affair. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you said the secret um, word. And, it, like, in the book, it's very toxic. It's very bad. It's not... It, it ends in tragedy, but I kind of like that, like thinking it as a romance in that sense, where like you see a complete deconstruction and collapse of a nostalgic, romantic interest. So, yeah. Um, I've always liked that. I do like the queer coding if it's intentional. Um, I'm vo- always critical when it's not in like adaptions I read or see. <laughs> yeah. Or <laughs> I think it's a, it's a weird thing to not include because it's yeah. It's, it's to me very prevalent in the way that Nick yeah, describes the yeah. world. Yeah, it's definitely there. Yeah, um, and I kind of started getting interested in New York because of this book because I'm trash. <laughs> 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 but now I live here, so I'm living my own Great Gatsby fantasy. But I haven't murdered anybody with Complete a car yet. Complete with Spanish flu. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, is this your fantasy? Yeah, it's my fantasy. What's your fantasy? <laughs> Um, and yeah, um, I think all the characters are awful, but <laughs> I love them individually. I really, I do really like Nick, even though I think he's garbage. <laughs> and, um, I just their intrat, that's not a word I want to use. Um, <laughs> just their characteristics. I really like, um, yeah. individually. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun. Do to you dislike fun anything? Do I dislike anything? Um, I do think, uh, me and Michelle were kind of talking about this yesterday. I think the beginning kind of drags. It's it's very slow start, but like once all the action happens, you're like in it, and that's when I get really interested in it. Mm-hmm. But the it's too, too too detailed at times, so I'm like, mm, okay, okay, that's nice. Um, Quit talking about this guy's pants for yeah. like a second. <laughs> it was really slow in the beginning, um, 
But once we get into the action, it's really good. Um, what else do I like? Oh, the weird racism that's just there. Yeah. I, that's just like a product of the time. <laughs> but Sorry, Michelle, I watched you right as that happened. I was taking a drink. Yeah. <laughs> Um, See, Michelle and I, don't, we don't normally look at each other when we do the podcast. We just do audio, but we had to for Steven, which for is me, fine. It's nice. I kind of like it, actually. Faces. Yeah, it's, yeah nice. it's nice. Um, Yeah, it's weirdly anti-Semitic at points. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I don't understand why. Um, like, Tom, I get. He's awful. Like He's, he's like, supposed to be, to be a racist. Yeah. Like, he's, like, like a white he's supremacist. He's, like, a buffoon. Yes, absolutely. Um, but then, like... And then Nick's um, just kind of like, think... uh-huh. Whenever Tom talks about it, he's just like, uh. <laughs> yeah. He changes the subject and stuff. Oh, towards the end, when Nick is trying to get people to go to the funeral, mm-hmm. he goes to a swastika office that's run by a Jewish person. I was very... Confi- like, this is obviously before... Uh, the Holocaust and stuff, but I was very confused. <laughs> yeah, the Swastika um, Holding yeah. Company. Yeah, I feel like that's maybe like a coincidence that aged extremely poorly. I think so too. <laughs> yeah, I, I just yeah. That's when I, when I heard bad. that, I was like, "What's happening?" <laughs> but um, I'm trying to think what else I don't like because mm. I don't think it's a perfect book, but I do think it's fun. No. Um, yeah. It's that nostalgia. It's that nostalgia. It's that nostalgia. Oh, you know <laughs> um, what? I just remembered something else I read by F. Scott Fitzgerald that I didn't like. <laughs> so I guess, like, The Crack Up, his essay, The Crack Up. Have either of you ever that read one. that? Is it funny? Is it like you crack no. up at it? It's so funny. It's like, basically, the essay is like, I'm really depressed, and that gives me license to be a jerk, and I don't care. Mean. And that's like the moral. <laughs> it's like, that's oh. really mean. Hold on, how does it end? The cracks in me, I said heroically. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry that I just brought this random thing up, but um, I think this is by far my favorite thing I've ever read by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um. Wait, one other thing I hate. Um, Lay it on me. Is that this this book is impossible to adapt for any type of media besides this book. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I don't think that's necessarily the book's fault, but I do want to talk about that. <laughs> I think it's a consequence of like the way that it's structured with the narrator not mm-hmm. being the protagonist. Yeah. Like we talk, like a lot of stuff about Nick, it's left out, like the way that he looks at the yeah. world. And I mean, there are just books that don't adapt well to film, but darned if people yeah. aren't going to try anyway. Um, I, I told Summer this, I think I told you this before. I saw an eight hour play mm. that read word for word, <laughs> The Great Gatsby. Okay. That's. Um, that's just an, a live audio book. You can't fool me. It was weird. It was weird. <laughs> but um, I liked it for the most part. This, this is a highly acclaimed play, too. Um, and I like parts of it, but uh-huh. it just didn't read as well. Because it's, like, set in modern day. Okay. And it's set in, like, an office. So, like, everything happens in the space of an office. 
and <laughs> so it's just the office but the great Gatsby. i was gonna basically. say it's just romeo plus juliet but the great gatsby <laughs> basically <laughs> we also talked about very briefly romeo plus juliet romeo plus juliet um but that experience was wild because I went in with such high hopes and I left liking the book less. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate the movie. I hate both movies. I've um, only seen the newer one. Um, I went to the midnight premiere. I think you were with me. Yeah, I think I think we went. It's it feels like I a feel fever like we dream, all went to the so same. So I don't one. know. Yeah. It was. I feel the like we were was all there at the same. Virtually time. empty. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I, not. I do remember getting in a fight online with our mutual friend Mackenzie (laughs) about the movie because I was like, I guess I was in shock that the movie was really bad and like I was trying to defend it for myself and she was just like adamantly like, this is a bad movie. (laughs) Like, no, it it was a very bad movie. No, it was a really bad movie. I can say that now. Um, Visually, I think it's very interesting. I do think the cast is really good. It just didn't work as a movie. Uh-uh. I also don't like Baz Luhrmann, so. <laughs> I didn't I didn't care for the words appearing in the sky. <laughs> that Mufasa energy. Wasn't, wasn't really a fan. Don't forget when he wrote The Great at the end. Oh. Oh, that's like a that's like a King Kong S K L L Island moment. I've been rewatching Scrubs like I said, but I'm just thinking of JD's little like Doctor Acula, Dracula, <laughs> Dracula. Um, yeah, <sighs> those are my thoughts on the book and its adaptions. Thank you for coming to my dead talk. <laughs> <laughs> Your dead talk? What? Yeah, my dead talk. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, Gatsby. Got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. So I can say the things that I like. I think I do. I mean, the things that I remember the most from the book, like, after reading it in high school, like, it's just, like, the symbolism in it. Yeah. I like those symbols, like, the things that I brought up, um, like, like, talking about, like, the green light, the eyes, like, I like a lot of symbolism in books anyway, so I appreciate that symbolism and kind of yeah. that feel of the it. The imagery's very um, strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the things I don't like, it's kind of similar. It's, like, the racism, the pacing, like, all this different stuff. It's just kind of, like, upon listening to it, it was different, definitely, than reading it. And especially Mm -hmm. listening to it now versus when I read it, like, back when I was, like, a kid. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Not that I'm still a child now, but, you know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I feel it in my heart. Um, But it's, like, I mean, you do kind of understand things and comprehend things differently so like for me now the book isn't as i guess like the nostalgic for me (laughs) it it doesn't it doesn't it's not held as high for me now Mm. than it probably was when i was younger so that's kind of like what happened with like lord of the flies not that i didn't like lord of the flies Mm -hmm. but upon the second reading like what michelle and i talked about is it's just like it's so much more gruesome like lord of the flies like rereading it it's like oh my gosh like I probably wasn't getting all this imagery. So now with Great Gatsby, it's a similar thing where it's like, did I notice the overt, like, racism in it? I maybe noticed Tom a little bit, but, like, we also didn't talk about it in school. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? Your teacher, you know, whatever, oh, God, like, seven (laughs) years ago, isn't going to talk about, like, a white guy being racist, especially if your teacher's white and they're in the South. Like, nobody's going to talk about that. 
So I feel like I missed out on those parts mostly because of like where we went to high school and like mm. that stuff I missed out on. So I think it's like that's the stuff I dislike is the racism, but I wish I could have learned more about it when I was in the thick of it, like reading this book in high school, you know. What about you, Michelle? Or Steven? You look like you have a comment. Yeah, I was just thinking because <laughs> I do remember talking about just Tom's comment because that only comes up like once is Tom's racism, which is weird. But, um, <laughs> when he like first meets Nick, it's like what, yeah, a, what a, like, a wild first impression. <laughs> yeah. But it, it also like yeah. it does characterize Tom a lot. I think that he feels so emboldened that he can say these yeah. things to a complete stranger mm-hmm. and assume that no one's going to call him out on it, which no one does. Yep. Yeah. Cuz my impression or like my understanding was it it was used to be like this is a bad person. And, like, <laughs> Among a sea of bad people. <laughs> yeah. Um and I do remember using this book to look at like imagery and I think we learned mm-hmm. about tropes from this. And mostly symbolism. I think it was yeah. big on symbolism. Because everybody was, like, confused about the green light, which I'm, like, now looking back, I'm, like, it's so obvious. I'm <laughs> <not curious. laughs> but also, like, who has a green light? Like, what a strange color to have It's to symbolize a boat. So for a boat, for a boat to come. Aren't those usually, like, yellow? <laughs> like, I don't know, dude. Where I don't you own a dock or a boat. Now, what do you think I am? <laughs> A millionaire? No. Yeah, I think I remember this book and Lord of the Flies being the ones that were used to teach symbolism um, mm-hmm. for me. I think the thing that I like about this, which I kind of mentioned before, is that I really like it as 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 a work that demonstrates a good use of subtext, um, which like is a word that people say a lot and then they don't really explain what it means. So I feel like a lot of people don't actually know what that means or how to identify it or how to write it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that I would ex- kind of explain it to my students when I was teaching creative writing is that it's like what exists that's not being talked about by the characters So, like, the example I would use with my students is, like, if a couple is arguing about the dishes, but, like, they're really arguing about something else that they don't want to talk about, so they're arguing about the dishes instead. And I think this book is a really masterful um, example of that kind of subtext. And, like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would teach subtext to high schoolers, honestly. It, it just might yeah. be a little bit complicated. I mean, it would depend on the student. Um, but just thinking about, like, what does Gatsby think he wants and what does he actually want? And why are those things different? And yeah. why is one thing being talked about but not the other thing? Um, there's <laughs> one more quote I want to read from this subtext book. Um, yeah, it's a quote. <laughs> So again, this is from The Art of Subtext by Charles Baxter. It's a fantastic book uh, from Grey Wolf Press, which is also a fantastic press. In an early draft of Gadsby, Daisy actually packs her bags, leaves her husband, and arrives at Gadsby's house, at which point Gadsby, of all things, sends her away. This seems both plausible and crazy. He's finally gotten what he wanted, and he refuses it. The flesh-and-blood woman, it seems, interferes with the fantasy of the very same woman. Fitzgerald did not save this scene, I think, because it was already implicit in his novel. So I think this is 
I that's my favorite thing about this book, regardless of like, you know, maybe the description's a little bit thick and dense and, you know, maybe it doesn't hold up for me quite as good on a second reading. But um, I think the the psychological aspect of it with Gatsby and the way he just like projects and obsesses over Daisy, um, I think is really well done. So is it suitable for the, cr- the classroom? I think sure. it is. Yeah. yeah, I think it's fine. I think, so. I think it's good for teaching symbolism, like you said. It's like it 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 kind of teach teaches you to look for those things, yeah. um, and then ask the questions about yeah. them. Mm-hmm. I kind of so I think that's good. I wonder, like, if it's one of those books that kind of get gets taught mostly for the purposes of students knowing what it is. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel like. Uh, when you think about like the canon that you learn in high school, some of it has a lot of merit. And I think this book does have merit. Um, But I think also some of it is just like, I'm preparing you to understand a lot of pop culture references. Yeah. Like the Canterbury tales. Did we really have to read that? Canterbury tales is not suitable for high school. That is a college book. And I stand by that. It's in middle English. (laughs) Which I love reading Middle English out loud now that I actually know how to do it. What conversations does this work inspire or require? I feel like definitely some historical context would be Mm -hmm. necessary. Like like the, what are the social conditions of the 20s? The economic Mm -hmm. conditions? um, Mm -hmm. Things like that. I agree. Um, I think another thing is the class dif- like with the economic thing it goes along with the class yeah. differences it's good to talk about yeah. that um, it's good to talk about well even the the racism mm-hmm. part like mm-hmm. maybe the point of him describing like Wolfsheim like so overtly like anti-semitic like that like like what what is the point of this like can we delve into this deeper like why do we think he's describing him mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. Like, what is this in there in this context? Why is Tom saying these things? Like, what does this say about yeah. Tom? So these, I feel like those are things that it can inspire. Um, and people can have conversations about that. But then it goes back to, like, what I was saying, where it's like, I feel like I didn't really talk about mm-hmm. that, like, yeah. in high school. But it also comes from, like, where we're from. So, like, maybe in a place that's, like, a little bit more liberal, they might delve into that deeper and talk about these things. Which is such a weird... I just thought of this that's such a weird juxtaposition to be like tom's bad because he's racist but then they have a racist depiction (laughs) yeah and like literally like describing him as having like a hook nose and all this different stuff and it's like that's something that you could Mm -hmm. talk about and and like michelle said is you can relate it back to the context of the time like it would be really awesome to almost do like a um with like the history teacher or your social studies teacher, if it lines up, if it's like mm-hmm. around the time you're doing American history, mm-hmm. it'd be really great for like the English teacher to do the Great Gatsby and then the history teacher to be able to teach at the same time something similar um, yeah. and go along with it that. Like when I was in college, we had these, um, everybody was required to take a class their freshman year where it was these two classes and everybody in those two classes, it was the same people in both classes. Mm-hmm but it was two different subjects. Like mine was psychology, intro to psychology, and then like the introduction to like the English composition class. Mm -hmm. And so our two professors worked together to create this curriculum that it would like, 
combined all the stuff we talked about. So anything we were talking about in the psych class, we would try to relate it back to the English class. So I really loved that idea of having that kind of class. And if you could have that kind of class in Mm -hmm. high school, I feel like making those connections would be so much better and prepare kids more when they get to college, prepare them for that type of critical thinking. Um, So I definitely feel like if you put those two together, it it would definitely bring a lot to this novel. I agree. I really like that idea that kind of like, and I don't know, like, the logistics of it, but that kind of like holistic education, because I feel like a lot of... Mm -hmm high school students like leave their English classes with this kind of sense of like why did we just spend a month talking about a green light like what does that have to do with anything in real life and it's like I don't really blame them for feeling that way because I think it's a lesson that really happens in a vacuum and it's Mm -hmm. not really explained like what it has to do with critical thinking or like relating to the world or how literature helps you like understand things it's just kind of like this is what symbolism is it's like yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, and we've talked about it a lot, that unfortunately a lot of what education is nowadays, and I mean even a little bit when we were mm-hmm. growing up, but not I don't think as much as it is now, is you're being taught for right. the test. Yeah. And that's it. You are being taught for the test. You're not being taught to critically think. No matter how much somebody can say this is a critical thinking class, you're going to be critically no. thinking. No. You are being taught to take a test. Yeah. And unfortunately that, in in doing so, you lose out on a lot of these like like I said the critical thinking things that you should be getting when you are that age and starting to learn up until college and unfortunately that's not the case um and it stinks because when you're in college yeah you're gonna have to take an exam you're gonna have to take a test but guess what it's not like a standardized exam it's you know what I mean (laughs) it's like these are uniquely tailored by your teachers if you're not prepared in high school to critically think and create these papers and ask these questions you're not going to be as successful in college. Like, it's just not going to happen. So I I really wish that, especially with novel studies, and I don't even know if people really do a lot of novel studies anymore with having to teach so much, like, to the curriculum. Um, Well, and, you know... And, and like, even beyond preparing (laughs) you for college, like, it's such an important life skill. Oh, in life. Yes. I mean, like... (laughs) Obviously. Critical thinking and, like, being able to close read is so important in ways that I don't think most people understand like when they're in school but you know if you think about like politics for example like you need to be able to close read what people are telling you Mm -hmm. so you don't just believe the first thing that you hear yeah like and I think when most people hear like when you explain that to to students I think they like that idea like nobody wants to think that they're being like misled or that they're being like tricked Mm -hmm. like I think people genuinely want to be able to think things through but they don't always have the tools to like dissect the language because they spent so much time like learning how to fill bubbles exactly correctly I know I keep peeking at my bookshelf I'm trying to think of like what book this would be good to like do a compare and contrast with oh interesting if I were Mm. teaching this book because I think that's a really good tool for critical thinking is, mm-hmm. yeah. like, parsing out the differences between texts and why authors did things differently. Like, even if you find, like I said, some short story about the 1920s or even, like, poems that were written during the 1920s. Yeah. And then you can kind of compare if there is a certain, like, 
voice happening in this poem, like, about the glitz and the glamour or anything like that, and compare it to Gatsby and kind of see it in that way. The only one I can think of is also of F. Scotty. I don't know if that would work. F. Scotty. And I think it might be more advanced, so... Mm -hmm. I think it's The Beautiful and the Damned. Uh, There's one, apparently, which I haven't read this, so I don't know if I can, (laughs) you know, I can say, but there's an Ernest Hemingway story, I guess, called The Sun Also Rises. It was published in 1926. It's on my shelf, and I've Um, never read it. That sounds familiar. (laughs) I was like, I know that title. Uh, But instead of New York City, it's the characters roam France and Spain, it says. Mm. So I guess that's another one that kind of goes along that same and they did mention the beautiful and the damned as well yeah oh this would be good too actually tony morrison wrote one called jazz it was published in 1992 though but it's a historical novel about the jazz age and it focuses on the african-american perspective that would be a good one so that would be like excellent to compare yeah because you could say okay this was this experience by this group of people who are marginalized versus this experience by these people who like have it all so that would be really really good so that's something you could do in class as well um if you are an educator and probably high school like as we read this in high school um (laughs) this is definitely not a i mean i wouldn't say it's inappropriate like sure you could read it you know like in junior high like whatever but i don't know if you're gonna really delve into it and get a lot of the context um i definitely say this is like a late high school book i don't think like a like anyone below ninth grade could handle it i think it would be hard for sure yeah i think they would read it and i think they would romanticize it because i probably would have romanticized it too if i read it when i was in junior high you know what i mean you probably would have seen it as oh my gosh gatsby is so great but now you read it like as an adult or as like a little bit of an older young adult when you're in high school and you kind of see that well Maybe things aren't so great. <laughs> the okay Gatsby. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I would do Brave New World. It came out not that long after this book. And it's... I love that book. It, Brave New World is great. It's so different structurally, stylistically. But it's kind of coming out of the same time period. So I think that would be I think we, good. I think we read that pretty close together. In high school. I read Gatsby, I think, sophomore year. I don't know. I don't remember. I can't remember. Mine was either sophomore or junior year. We definitely... Because my seat... Oh, go ahead. Senior year was, like, all the English, like, Canterbury Tales and Beowulf (laughs) and all that. That was senior year. That was rough. That was a rough year for England. (laughs) Um, Oh, I I liked my senior year class. Yeah, I'm pretty sure junior year we read... Gatsby and Brave New World, like, back-to-back. We were, like, really close together, like, within months. So, that's interesting. I don't know how good this would be for high schoolers, but maybe The Wasteland by Elliot, which is poetry. I I think parts of this were actually inspired by that. I might be totally misremembering, but, like, the thing with the Valley of Ashes, um, I'm not sure. But that came out in 22. For another, like, relatively contemporary book, um, which is very different, All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm. Oh, yeah. You know what? I was an I amazing think we... book. Yeah. Actually, we should read that yes. soon. Um, or I might just read it. I know we've been very in the high school realm lately, I feel like. Kind of like you were saying, Summer, like, economically, historically, like, all this prosperity is, like, the other side of a 
horrible war, basically. And so I think it would be interesting to also read about the horrible war. And, like, yeah. you know, what are the two sides of this, like, historical um, moment? Compare the differences between them and get the whole picture. But that book's like also that. set in Germany. Too. So that's, like, very different. But it's a really good book. I say any study of World War One is interesting mm-hmm. because I feel like that war is not touched on as much as World War Two. Everyone's obsessed um, with World War Two. I don't know why. <laughs> Listen, don't you don't have to call me out like that. I um, just I feel like <laughs> I don't appreciate everyone's got it. either a dad or an uncle who knows everything about World War Two. <laughs> That's my mom. Listen, my I mom don't appreciate being called out like that. Summer, are you my uncle? Are you my World War Two yes. uncle? Yes, I am. Um, Hi, I'm Summer. I'm your World War II uncle. Let's talk about Germany. I, I mean, I think, like, World War II is easier to, like, simplify. Yeah. I, I Arguably, yeah. like, way oversimplified, like, us versus the Nazis. It's like, okay, that's not yeah. really what happened, but okay. Because it's also, like, sensationalized. Yeah. Well, and I think World War II is a lot more easy. It, it, it lends itself much better to storytelling, and especially storytelling for younger people because there's like a clear like mm-hmm. bad guys and good guys and yeah. it's like world war one yeah. if you ask the average person like who's the bad guy in world war one i don't mm-hmm. think they'd be able to answer mm-hmm. or like even who the involved parties were <laughs> um the other thing is think about it like with world war one it was a very european yeah. war yeah it was european but with world war two with japan bombing pearl harbor it's <laughs> and like we stuck our foot in at the last America minute into it Yep, it's us. As we the won the closing, war. We gotta Woo! stick our toes in there. What are we reading right now? Because I feel ashamed to say that all I have read is listening to The Great Gatsby <laughs> and articles about Animal Crossing New Horizons. Same. That's the only things that I've been reading recently, um, partially because I feel like during this entire situation, I literally cannot focus on like anything like that i realized um earlier today that the last two novels i read have been post-apocalypse and this okay the one i'm reading now was intentional but i started reading born by jeff vandermeer before all this happened and it like carried me over like i was still reading it when all this was happening i didn't like it that much i'm sorry jeff vandermeer i think he's from here and it was like a bestseller and all this different stuff but i just wasn't really a fan um of born but now i am rereading station 11 by emily st john mandel which is an amazing book it's one of my favorite books it's one of the best books i've ever read it's the best post-apocalypse thing i've ever read because it's like not bleak it's actually like optimistic about people and like that one is specifically about a pandemic, so I'm reading it on purpose because I'm like, maybe this will be interesting. <laughs> yeah, we need some optimism. It's, a, so it's about a, nice. a, a post-apocalypse that was caused by a pandemic, but it focuses on this like traveling Shakespeare troupe slash symphony. Oh my god! Which I love because a lot of post-apocalypse stuff just like assumes that people are like one like stupid, and two just like are not interested in entertainment. It's, like, just, like, scrabbling around for cans in the dirt or whatever. Or, like, when you play Fallout and everything's just, like, 
this like trash in everyone's houses and i'm like you lived here for like 50 years like clean up your house there are these giant roaches (laughs) we just let them live here (laughs) but it's really really good it's i really recommend station 11 maybe it'll help someone process what's happening if you feel like reading it um i got that as a birthday gift earlier this year because i remember you you recommended so good to me like yeah maybe a year or two ago so maybe i'll pick it up yeah it's Um, and it's a quick read because it i don't know i i tore through like 70 80 pages of it earlier like it's i find it really easy to read um I mostly do my reading on Audible um, or listen to audiobooks mm-hmm. and podcasts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So since I've been working from home, I just put on a movie when I'm work, so I haven't been really like reading anything. But before this, I was reading a lot of AIDS books because mm-hmm. um, that's my like speciality. Um, that's what I'm interested in. Um, my favorite all-time book is called The Lonely City um, by Olivia... Liang, I think. Okay. She's like a nonfiction writer, um, but she looks at the being lonely in like a new city or just in general, mm-hmm. but looks at, at it through artwork and um, specifically like art that was, was made in New York. And um, most of the artists um, died of HIV, mm-hmm. and I used it for my thesis. And it's like a really gorgeous book about like how loneliness affects different people, especially in, like, New York. And it was, like, really comforting when I first moved here, and then I used it for my thesis. Yeah. Um, and it's it's comforting, especially in this kind of pandemic, because um, <laughs> everyone's by themselves. Yeah. But, um, and I know I'm not the only one, but, like, I've been making artwork, like, every night, because um, I'm... Which is really awesome, yeah. by the way. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. If you want to plug your Instagram so people can see your really cool photo series. Thank you. Um, I'm Drag the Martyr. Um, that's martyr spelled like Jesus, pronounced like you're stupid. Um, <laughs> that's my tag. Everyone hates that tagline, but I love it. Um, I, I actually, I think I told you this. I have a gallery exhibition coming up. Yay. Um, of, my, of one of my photos. Um, it's going to be, well, if the epidemic ends. So. It was, was it just the one photo or was it the series? It's just the one photo. Okay, um, okay. Which is actually my favorite photo. So Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a good series too. I yeah. like that Thank one you. as well. Um, I'm, the, I'm working on my next one soonish. I'm about to finish this one. I have one more album to do. But um, the other one, involves going outside and since i've had corona i feel like i'm able to go outside i don't know (laughs) but um i don't want to give it to anybody obviously but like we'll see wear your mask maintain social distancing yeah wash your hands i guess i don't know the science behind of like because it's been about (laughs) i don't think anyone knows the science behind tea (laughs) (laughs) it's been about two weeks since my last symptom um and i've been out since i got groceries and stuff i've been wearing a mask and whatever but um i don't know if i can get it again and i don't know if i can give it to anybody which is my concern it's giving it to anybody yeah so i went through it i'm fine um but yeah i've been reading a lot of aids books is your answer to your question (laughs) um and i'm seeing very sad um similarities (laughs) 
That's all I'll say. <laughs> Healthcare crises. Okay, so, Michelle, what is your book pick? My book pick is Touching Spirit Bear by Ben Mickelson. Michelson. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. All right, so we will be reading Touching Spirit Bear. Um, I sincerely hope that everybody out there, if you are listening to this podcast, that you are yes. staying safe and practicing social distancing and being really careful and just aware of the people around you and um, trying to keep yourself and yep. everybody else safe as well during Listen this time. Listen to the most recent CDC guidelines, which change... Yep sometimes frequently so just <laughs> yeah to, just try to keep up yeah and pay attention to like reliable things like yeah. <laughs> like we're saying like like you know that's gonna be where you're doctors. gonna get yours yes yes so thank you Stephen, for joining us on this wild fantastic yes. journey you're welcome thank you for having a lot me. of digressions that i'm sure yes cut out <laughs> For the final podcast, <laughs> for sure, but it's good. Uh, do you want? Do you want to do one more plug? Yes. Before we go, um, follow me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Drag the Martyr. Um, I post photos and drag and queer stuff. Um, and also, I have a podcast with my um, co-host Caitlin or C Tepper. Um, it's called Wigging Out. It's all about the New York drag scene, nightlife. It's a bunch of queer stuff. It's a lot of fun. Yay. Um, we're, like I said, we're on hiatus right now, but I don't know how long it's going to last. Um, but yeah, episodes every other week. Yay. <laughs> Technically. <laughs> sort of. Sometimes. Sort of. No. But. All right. Well, again, you can reach out to us. Please. Um, we're so lonely. On Twitter or via <laughs> email. You can reach out to us. Uh, the email that we never remember. Um. <laughs> I've read that podcast at gmail.com yeah, or at I've read that cast on Twitter. And we are here for you to talk about any books you want us to read, anything you're interested in hearing mm-hmm. us talk about. If you know, you want us to bring more guests on because it was, it was really fun. fun to have a guest on. Yeah, it was nice. And especially considering we haven't gotten to talk in <laughs> such a long time. Like it's very nice. Um, yeah. So Thank you for listening. This has been I've Read That. I'm Summer. I'm Michelle. I'm Martyr. Stay PG, Pony Boy. I think I just said boy, but whatever. Stay PG, Boy. PG, Boy. We should also talk about Twilight, because um, the Spanish flu is in Twilight, and... Is it really? Edward was turned into a vampire by Carlisle during the Spanish flu, because he was about to die, and Carlisle was his doctor, and then he bit him on the neck. <laughs>